morning. Uh, Brian, please have a seat in the chair. Uh, this is my friend Brian. Brian is, uh, please have a seat. Uh, Brian is uh, on our leadership team, and uh, I asked Brian if I could use him as an illustration this morning, but he has no idea what I'm going to do. Uh, and he agreed, which is always, you should never agree to something that you don't know what you're agreeing to. Uh, but he did anyway. Uh, Brian, may I wash your feet this morning? You're going to be so sorry you asked. I am not, actually. Um, good, yeah, you can start. These are some nice shoes. I like your shoes. They're not your size. They're, I know. They're not. <laughs> they're, they're unfortunately not. Uh, Brian, how long have you been coming to TLC? Uh, two years, two and a half years. Okay. Uh, married? Happily. Happily. Mm-hmm. Uh, just got to do a vow renewal, actually, for he and his wife, Callie. Because uh, how many years, brother? 25 years. 25 years. That's pretty impressive. Uh, you've got three children. I do. And uh, what are their names? Riley, Bryson, and Brenna. How's that for? All bees. Yeah. All bees with the Britons. Better known as book, book, book. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and take that foot out. Before he asked, he didn't know I had the nastiest feet in the world. He hasn't seen mine. Uh, so, Brian, what's this like right now? Feels great. No. Oh. Good. Might, I might have a new vocation How when I'm done. How long will this last? <laughs> Not as long as you probably are hoping. <laughs> Certainly longer than everyone else's, though, I'm going to tell you that. So, when you found out that I was going to wash your feet, probably when you were walking up here and you saw a towel and a basin, what was going through your head? can't wait for you to see my nasty toes. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, would you give a big round of applause to Mr. Brian Britton? Thank you, my Thank friend. Thank you. Love you, man. Love you. So, uh, it was about, I don't know, eight or nine months ago. Uh, it was in the fall. I'm sitting at Starbucks. Uh, I've been working on a message uh, all afternoon. And uh, it was getting later in the day, uh, the shop, coffee shop over on 28th Street uh, was not empty, um, but it wasn't as full as it normally is. And this guy walks in, and I noticed uh, when he first walked in uh, that one of his shoes was untied. And like some folks, they walk in, they got their shoes untied a little bit, you like, like, they probably are like an untied tied shoe kind of, like if it was my son, like you would just expect that, right? Like he'd have probably one shoe untied and the shoes probably wouldn't match and they might not even be on the right feet for that matter. Uh, but this was a guy who you could tell did not normally have a shoe untied. And as he walked in, uh, he did not notice that his shoe was untied, but I noticed and apparently Jesus noticed as well. And uh, so uh, Jesus says to me, uh, I want you to go tie that man's shoe. And uh, I said to Jesus, uh, no, because <laughs> uh, that's just weird. And Jesus said to me, he said, oh, so uh, like you're too big to like tie another man's shoe. And I was like, no, it's not that I'm too big. That's just weird, Jesus. Like, that, like that's not the issue. 
And the man ordered his drink with his shoes still untied. And he didn't order the kind of drink that they can just give you right at the register. He ordered a drink that they were going to need to prepare, which meant that he had to go down to the end of the countertop, which was at the back of the restaurant, uh, the coffee shop, right by where I was sitting. And he still does not realize that his shoe is untied. And Jesus said to me again, go tie that man's shoe. And I did not want to. And Jesus said, I want you to serve him, not for his sake, but for yours. So I got up out of my chair, and I walked over to the guy, and I started to talk to him as I began to kneel. And I said, sir, uh, your shoe is untied. Would you mind if I tied it for you? (laughs) Which is just as awkward as you're imagining right now. But by the time I finished my sentence, I was already down on one knee. And so he just kind of looked at me, slightly horrified, (laughs) and said, sure, because I had already, like, started to grab the laces. And I simply tied the man's shoe, and uh, I got up. He said, thank you. And I went back to my seat. Uh... And then a minute later, he came over to me, and he said, I was in the parking lot, and I told God, if you're real, have someone. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. He did not. No. (laughs) No, no. Like, that would be an awesome story if I tied the man's shoe, and then he said something like that. But he didn't. He just gave me this awkward thanks, and then left. And that was it. Like, there was no, like, moment of, like, awesome. Like, it was just this weird, awkward interaction that I had with some dude at Starbucks when Jesus told me to tie his shoe. Like, Jesus, like, that's weird. Like, grown men don't tie other grown men's shoes. But sometimes Jesus calls us to do something that we may think is strange or weird or don't understand as a means of serving somebody simply because that's the model that Jesus gave us. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to John chapter 13. But while uh, you're doing that, I'd like to share with you uh, why we're doing this new series, Warp and Weft. Okay, What you can kind of expect over the next few weeks. Uh, you saw in the video where the concept of Warp and Weft comes from. Right? Warp and weft are weaving terms. Uh, The warp is the vertical strings that the weft, which is the horizontal strings, are actually woven into to create the tapestry. Uh, The horizontal, excuse me, vertical, I get these mixed up all the time, it's pretty sad, I shouldn't, but vertical threads, the warp, Uh, is often we connect that to our relationship with God, right? That's the vertical. And our horizontals, all the stuff that we do with people, it's our vocation. And way too often, I feel like we get those two things, we kind of separate them. We've got our Monday through Friday, right? That's our job, that's our vocation, that's the thing that we go and that we do. It's how we earn a paycheck. But very rarely do we think about the fact that God has actually designed us, created us, and given us the calling to take our vocation, and use it to build a kingdom, to help create human flourishing. Uh, 
God is not happy when we separate those two things. That, well, I do this thing on Sunday, but then I do this other thing Monday through Friday, and one just helps me to kind of live on this earth until God finally comes back, or I die and I get to go to heaven, and then I can enjoy everything. God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to realize that you're supposed to live an integrated life because when that actually happens, that's how beautiful tapestries are made. You'll never see a tapestry that's just all warp. You'll never see a tapestry that's just all weft. It doesn't work that way. Beautiful tapestries come together when we recognize that God desires that we pull those things together, that we create something beautiful along with him. And whatever job you have, God cares about. In fact, when we separate those things, it's actually a form of blasphemy. You see, on the one hand, when we separate them, uh, we're either saying that my job is something that I don't include God in. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to become as successful as I can possibly be. I'll cut whatever corners I need to cut. Uh, or at, at the very minimum, I just won't include God. And that's basically taking your job, your vocation, and turning it into an idol, something that you place above God. Or, or the other error that we often find ourselves falling into is that God, well, he just doesn't really care. Like, as long as I'm okay in doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm not, like, sinning or doing something bad in my job, that God really doesn't care. And I'm going to say baloney to both of those. Both of those ideas are, are, are blasphemous. God created you and desires to be in partnership with you in bringing the world someplace. And your job, however small you might think it is, actually matters greatly to God, and God expects you to be his emissary, his ambassador, the person who represents him in the place that he has called you to. Some of you are like, yeah, but I don't like my job. Does that mean God hasn't given it to you, that God hasn't called you to it? God desires to walk alongside of us, and he wants us to actually take the gospel, the good news, the kingdom work that he has begun in us and bring, us, bring that into our places of vocation. And so today, uh, if you are a business or technology professional, uh, this message is specifically for you. Now, it's for all of us, okay? But this week, we're actually going to be commissioning those of you that work in the business world or technology world. And so at the end of the service, I'm going to ask all of you uh, who uh, fall into that profession to come forward, and we as a church are going to commission you to take what you do and who Christ is creating you to be back into your place of work. Next week, that's going to be healthcare professionals and those in the sciences. Uh, the week after that, it's going to be uh, those in the service industry, uh, design industry, and the trades. Uh, the week after that uh, is going to be those who are in uh, the education uh, realms. Um, if, uh, if you don't feel as though you fall into one of those particular four categories, uh, pick one. Okay? Uh, the point isn't that we're going to try to hit every single little... Whichever one you feel like God has uniquely designed and gifted you, right? The calling that he's placed on your life, uh, find whatever that week, if it's this week... If it's next week, if it's the week after, or the last week, uh, then I want you to come and, and choose one of those so that you can be commissioned. Because God cares about what you do deeply. And he wants to do it with you in partnership as a way to bring his kingdom, as it is in heaven, to Grand Rapids. All right? So, 
that's uh, kind of what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. John chapter 13. Uh, this is a passage you've probably heard or read a number of times. You already know what it is because you're like, why did he wash Brian's feet? That's weird. We don't do that anymore these days, right? When somebody comes to your house, you don't wash their feet, all right? If anything, you might say, well, hey, take off your shoes. But back in Jesus' time, this was a huge issue of hospitality, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were, uh, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, this is getting, uh, this is Thursday night before Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday. Uh, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus is meeting with his disciples in what we call the upper room. It just would have been a, a larger room where they're going to share the Passover meal together. This is the time that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, uh, communion, where he reminds them that uh, his blood is poured out as a new covenant, and that his body is going to be broken uh, uh, as a means of their salvation. Not just them, of course, but us as well. Uh, John is the only one that actually records this particular story. Uh, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't actually mention this. And what's interesting is John doesn't mention the Lord's Supper, communion here. Uh, it's all happening in the same meal. Uh, we think that um, when John wrote his gospel that Mark had been pretty widely circulated at this point. And so uh, his readers that he was writing to would have been very, very familiar with the Lord's Supper and would have been practicing it. And so we think that's why he doesn't write about that, but includes this instead. It says in verse 2, the evening meal, okay, that's the Passover meal, was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. That's a, that's a really important point for what we're going to be reading. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, uh, again, you've probably heard this talked about before, but if you're newer to uh, church or Christianity or this is a new story, let me just fill you in on a, cult, a couple of cultural details. Um, the washing of someone's feet was considered a very low task, a very humbling task. Uh, the person who was the head of the household would never do this for the people who were uh, underneath him, if you will. Especially at this time in this culture, uh, where, uh, where men were put way above women, a man would never wash a woman's feet. Uh, in fact, uh, it was shocking for a wife to want to wash even her husband's feet. Uh, many uh, wealthy Jewish people at the time would not even allow their Jewish servants to wash their feet. They would only allow Gentile servants to wash their feet. It was like the lowest thing. So whoever was kind of the lowest ranking member in the household would be the one that would wash the feet. And so when Jesus takes off his outer robe 
and wraps the towel around his waist and then pours water and then walks up to the disciples to begin washing the feet, which they would have been very familiar with. This was not like a new thing. It wasn't been a weird thing. This was something that they were used to, but it would have been shocking that Jesus would have done it. In fact, John, we think, may have very well been one of the youngest disciples. So assuming that there were no other servants from whosoever household with which they had borrowed the upper room in the vicinity, John might actually have been the one who may have been expected to do this. And yet Jesus is now doing something that he should never do. All right? The disciples know that Jesus is Messiah. They've already believed that, that he's actually God who has come to be with us, Emmanuel. And that means that he's like top of the top of the top. There's never a time where he should be washing anybody else's feet. Not the emperors, not the high priests, not the king. Nobody's. Like he's like, and the fact that he's doing this, they're like shocked, blown away. In fact, so much so that we're going to read. I mean, some of them just must have been like, I don't even know what to do right now. This is just, but Peter, he knows what to do. So let's keep reading. Peter always knows what to do. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> Peter's always willing to correct Jesus. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, uh, it feels a little bit like, all right, this is like classic Peter, like he's always putting his foot in his mouth, uh, and this is kind of what's happening here, but actually it's really a, a sign of devotion. I mean, when Peter says no, he's like, Jesus, I can't, I'll, I'm supposed to be washing your feet, like, I can't let you wash my feet. That, that, I'm the one who should be doing this. And so Peter doesn't want him to do so, but Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Like, yo, all right, if you got to walk, like, let's do it all. You thought it was awkward for me to, walk, to, to tie a man's shoes in Starbucks. Peter's like, yo, give me a bath. <laughs> Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, this is a little bit of a confusing part of the story, where he's like to Peter, hey, I, I, I want to wash your feet. Peter's like, no. He's like, yo, unless I wash your feet, then you can't have a part with me. And Peter's like, well, then, yo, if this is about getting to be connected to you, because what Jesus is talking about here is being a part of God's family. Okay, not, not just like that we're going to be cool and be friends and hang out, but like we're going to be with each other forever. Like Peter got it. Peter understood this was more than just a foot washing thing. And so Peter's like, yo, if, if washing my feet's good, then like do all like my everything, like hands, head, like let, let's do it all, Jesus. Like I don't want to miss a potential blessing. Like I want all of it. And Jesus says, look, Peter, you, you don't need, you don't need a whole bath. You, it's just your feet that are dirty. Now, uh, what's he talking about here? Uh, because they were having the Passover meal, uh, we know that they would have gone and been ceremonially bathed 
earlier in the day. Uh, the upper room was actually not very far from the temple. I think I showed you once before when we were talking about baptism, uh, what's called a mikvah, which is like a ceremonial pool that you would walk down into for a ceremonial washing and then come back out of. Uh, they would have done that before they had gone to the upper room. Uh, the temple and those um, little pools are, are actually probably about a five to ten minute walk away if you're in Jerusalem. You can literally go to the place we think the upper room was, and you can walk it from the temple. It's not very far. And so what Jesus is saying to Peter is like, you've already had a bath, but when you walk in Jerusalem, it's dusty, it's dirty. They would have had sandals, and so your feet get dirty, and so that's why they need to be cleaned again. And what Jesus is actually saying is he's saying, look, you, you believe in me already. You've already said you, you know that I'm the Messiah. You, you've already made that statement. You're already clean. You believe. But I need to do this for you. See, what Jesus was referring to was actually his death. See, Jesus hadn't died and been resurrected. Uh, Peter's sin was basically like on a credit card where he said, I believe, and, and therefore his sin was on this credit card, and, and yet uh, it hadn't been paid yet because Jesus hadn't died and resurrected. And so what Jesus is saying is like, look, uh, you don't need the whole, you already believe, but you do need to allow me to do this thing. You don't yet understand what I'm doing, but soon you will. Because Jesus knew he was going to the cross that next day. Verse 12. Uh, actually, let me say something um, to us about that particular spot in uh, verses 6 through 11. Um, one of the things that Jesus wanted Peter to understand, and I think you and I as well, is that nothing is too far a distance to travel when serving others, right? And that's what Jesus' death is going to show him. And so when Jesus actually kneels down and starts washing the disciples' feet, something that he, uh, according to cultural standards, never should have done, he's painting a picture for the disciples that say, look, there's, there's no distance that's too far to travel, to serve, to love, to give yourself for others. Um, we actually get to now the reason, though, in verse 12, where Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, probably one of the preeminent New Testament scholars alive today, uh, says this about this particular section. Do you understand what I've done for you? Um, he tells a story about a, a gift that he got. It was a needlepoint uh, tapestry that someone had made for him. Uh, very beautiful, ornate, uh, took a lot of time, and he had gotten this gift, and he says this, he says, I've never done a needlepoint tapestry like that, but I've watched, and I know how it's done. You need the pattern, the outline. Someone has to design it and color it onto the canvas so that the artist can see which colored threads go where. Then the pattern has to be followed very carefully, stitch by stitch. It's laborious and a bit of a strain on the eyes, but as the work develops, there is a growing sense of excitement as the picture comes alive and of anticipation of the complete work. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, which is like the highest honor, the highest thing they could say to him. Okay, they recognize that he's Messiah, that he's God in the flesh. All right, the chosen one. 
Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example or a pattern that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. In other words, if I was willing to do this for you, then there's nothing you shouldn't be willing to do for others. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Stop right there for a second. Uh, The word for I have set you an example uh, could also be translated a pattern, which is interesting because we just got done with the series called uh, The Pattern. We were in Philippians where Paul actually talks about Jesus and what Jesus does and says, hey, you should pattern your life after Jesus. And Jesus is actually literally saying, I'm setting for you an example, a pattern for you to follow, something for you to copy. If I'm willing to do it, you should be willing to do it as well. Uh, N.C. Wright says this. He says, the word he uses could mean a picture showing someone or something how it was to be done. A tracing that someone else would follow, filling in the details. And this pattern sets Jesus' followers a task. Now listen to this. So laborious, requiring such a strain, not only on the eyes, but also on the nerves, will, heart, and energy, that we shouldn't be surprised at how many of us fail to get it right. I shared with you a story, a albeit weird and awkward story, of me obeying Jesus and doing what he asks me to do, tying a man's shoe, a grown man's shoe, in Starbucks. But I don't always get it right. Uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, it was a Friday. We had been on the high school retreat, uh, Brenda and I with our family, and we got back on Thursday. Uh, it had been a great time, but we were kind of tired. We had been in Boston the week before that uh, with a family vacation, um, which I always think like family and vacation, like I don't think those two words, like jumbo shrimp, okay? Like I don't, but. Um, while we were in Boston, uh, we parked our car with Spot Hero, okay, get a better rate, and the place that I had to bring it to, like, uh, I parked and I had to give them the keys, and then I think they just probably drove it out of the city and, like, parked it in some field or something, and they bring it back when you ask for it. So, we got it back. Well, when I'm leaving, I realized, though, that whoever had started the car last had turned the key so hard that it actually had snapped. The pl- I think there's a uh, picture uh, of it up there. So you can kind of see what that uh, had done to the key. I mean, it had mangled it. And that's the only key we have for that car. And it's one of those chip keys. So we, I wasn't even sure if it was going to work. But thankfully, it did. or Otherwise, we would have been stranded in Boston. So we got back. But as soon as we got back from Boston, uh, about a day and a half later, we were on the retreat. So we hadn't had a chance to go to the dealership and get it fixed. And now it's uh, Friday, and Brenda had to work that day. So we still hadn't gone. So she had taken the car into work. It's uh, at the end of her scheduled time at the hospital, about 3.30, 4 o'clock, she calls me and she says, Torin, uh, I tried, but I couldn't get the car door opened because we had to literally like, lock it by hand. You, you, the buttons didn't work anymore. She said, I tried, and then the key broke. I need you to come get me. Now it's like 4 o'clock. On a Friday, dealerships are closing. We're not going to have the cars, what I'm thinking, for the entire weekend. I don't know what I'm going to do. I had been painting outside. I'm sweaty. I'm in the middle of my painting project. 
and uh, now I've got all this paint that I've got to clean up somehow, and the brush, like you just can't leave it out, and I'm not very happy with the fact that my wife has broken the key. Like, why couldn't you just be more careful with it, babe? Like, you knew that it was, I'm a great husband. <laughs> so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not happy, okay? I'm not happy at all. And I get in my car, I grab a pair of pliers, I'm like, I got to try to figure out if there's a way that I can grab it and turn it and get it to work, and I drive all the way down there. As soon as I get on the expressway, I realize it's Friday at 4.15, and so what normally takes me 12 to 15 minutes, now it's taking me a half an hour to get there. Uh, I show up, okay, and she lets me into the parking garage at Spectrum Health. Uh, we drive over to her car, she hands me the key, uh, which had, like, completely broken out, but she was able to kind of put it back together. She hands it to me, and I'm like, oh, great, what, how am I going to do this? I walk up, I put it in, I turn it easily, and instantly it opens up. And I open the door, and then I get into the car, and I turn it, and instantly and easily it starts up. Now, now, I was livid at this point. Now, not in like the I'm yelling at you, but in the I'm making that face of shame, thinking like, what are you actually, are you kidding me right now? I just drove all the way and opened right. She doesn't want to talk to me. In fact, I think the first time that I call her, because now she's in my car, I'm in her car, I'm, I call her because I'm like, are you kidding me? She doesn't even pick up at first. <laughs> all right. We get home. And uh, it was after I was able to get to the dealership before they closed and got a new key. And I, I realized um, that I was not serving my wife very well. And, and here's the crazy thing, right? Because when we read this story in John 13, Jesus washes all of the disciples' feet. Which means he washed Judas's feet. And the text is very clear that Jesus already knew what Judas had started. This is my wife, whom I love. I know that I married way above my pay grade, okay? Uh, I'm very well aware of that. Uh, I was a junior uh, when she was a freshman in college. Uh, we started dating specifically, uh, especially my senior year, and I knew I needed to lock that down because she was, just didn't realize how many options she was going to have. So I was like, before she realizes, there might be a lot of other great, like, I know that I married way above what I should. And quite honestly, uh, 20 years ago, before we were married, if I had gotten that same call, do you know how excited I would have been to have dropped whatever I was doing and zoomed downtown, even in rush hour, even if the key just went in and opened immediately? In fact, I would have seen it as a sign of God's gracious blessing on my life that this happened and she needed to call me to come and serve her. And now after 20 years of marriage... I'm through the roof angry that I had to stop my painting job, go downtown, put a key in the lock that instantly opened up. What changed? 
Some of it's, I think, familiarity. Uh, not just with my wife, but with Jesus. You see, I, I know this story. This is not the first time I've taught this story. It's not the first time I've heard this story. It's not the first time I've read it. I know what I'm supposed to do. Jesus, the top, was willing to do whatever it took, not just to wash feet, but he actually went to the cross to die to serve me. And I have a hard time wanting to serve my wife. She, she's like the Peter of the story. She's not even the Judas. She, she's she's the, the easy one. Should be. And it just reminded me of how difficult what Jesus has laid out for us actually is. And yet how necessary this example is for me to continually come back to time after time after time. So I had to go to my wife later that night and just apologize. And she felt bad. She's like, I can't believe, I don't know what you did. To this day, we have no idea why the key didn't work when she put it in. I think it was probably because Jesus needed to remind me that I'm really not very good at serving my wife and I need to get better. And so I apologized. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Like, that, you don't deserve that. I, I don't know why. No, I know why, but I'm not proud of why, and I, I want to be better. Because that's the example, that's the model. And when we read verse 17, we, we see this. It says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that we know these things, we will be blessed if we do them. I can't tell you what the blessing is going to look like. I can't tell you exactly how it's going to come about but I promise you how true this is. I know because I've seen it in my own life. When I'm actually willing to obey and tie a man's shoe, even if he doesn't come back and tell me, God, da, 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 okay, like, I know that there's blessing that comes from that. When I get the privilege of serving my wife, when I get the privilege of serving you guys, there's blessing that comes from that, and that's true of all of us. Uh, for those of you that are in the tech and business industries, that's your vocation. Uh, one of the things that we prayed about as we were creating this series is we said, what, what, what do these particular vocations, these industries, what message do they need to hear? And this was the one that we felt like God was saying. So I don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but I simply want to finish by asking this question, all right? Who is your Judas? Who is your Peter? What will it look like for you to serve others like Jesus served us? Where would that be easiest? Where would that be toughest? And I want you just to start thinking about that a little bit. Because maybe right now God's bringing up a, a guy at your office or a boss that you have or an employee that you have. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's the gal that nobody seems to like or... She hasn't been super kind to you. What, what would it look like to serve them the way Jesus has served us? To take this model of servant leadership into our places of vocation. So I just want, literally, I'm going to give us 15 seconds. Close your eyes and just sit with Jesus. 15 seconds.
Okay. Now, if you are in the business uh, sector or the tech sector, uh, this is what I'd like you to do. Uh, even if you're new with us, you're like, oh, this is weird. You don't have to. I'm like, I don't know, all right? But uh, for those of you that are, I'd like to commission you, we would like to commission you today to take what Jesus has done in your life and combine it with your vocation to then bring it back into your place of work. So uh, if that's you, go ahead and stand up and walk up to the front. You're just going to kind of stand uh, up front in here. That's good. Come on in. You're going to have to kind of fill back. Ah, this is awesome. Come on up. So I'm going to read a prayer of commissioning over you, pray it over you, and then there's going to be something that I ask you, uh, that you're going to have the privilege of responding with a we will, and then uh, there's going to be something that I'm going to ask you, congregation, that collectively we will respond by saying we will, all right? So today, friends, we commission you to take the call of God to your place of business, to be salt and light, a preserving and illuminating force in your office and company. Remember that God ordained humanity to join him in taking the world somewhere by building organizations that bring glory to God as you help humanity flourish, you are doing more than simply bringing home a paycheck. You are doing kingdom work. So be bold in your love for God and his impact on what you do. Share what he has done for you with others and invite them to know Jesus as you do. You are now missionaries sent into your places of work. This is your primary calling. And now there's going to be something up on the screen. So this morning, I want to ask you if you will pledge to the best of your ability to deepen your approach to business and technology with the servant heart of Jesus, applying your work through the lens of Scripture. If you will make that pledge, would you please say, I will. Very cool. Church, those of us in the congregation, would you pledge to pray for our business and tech professionals as God brings them to mind? I want you to take a second and just look at the folks that are up here. Find somebody that you know or a face that you recognize, even if you don't know their name. As God brings them to mind, would you pray for them that God would bless, strengthen, and protect, uh, protect and use them in their work? If you will, would you please say, we will. We will. Thank you. Friends, you are commissioned, sent out, emissaries, ambassadors, missionaries of God Most High, to take what God has given you, the life change, the gospel, the good news, back into your places of work, that the kingdom of God may grow, that he might gain glory, and that more people might find a relationship with him. You may go. Friends, thanks for an awesome Sunday. We will see you guys next week for Warp and Weft Part 2.